welcome to this edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Jake Novak, and this is our weekly half-hour radio program slash podcast, depending on how you listen to this. Um, you can follow me on Twitter to catch me during the rest of the week. My Twitter handle is at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY. I also have Facebook pages. Just look me up, Jake Novak. You'll find it pretty easily, N-O-V-A-K, and you'll see what I'm uh, writing daily and uh, sometimes by the hour. So you can make sure that you're up on all of the upmost and most current analysis of the, the big news stories of the week. Um, I want to do a little bit of a teaser before we get to, to today's topic, and that is that um, I have uncovered uh, something that was not a secret, but is, you would might as well have been because it is just not being covered by the news media very much, uh, including the financial news media, but probably the most amazing story uh, involving taxes and new rules for investment in this country about to go into effect. Um, I think it's mostly a positive story, but it is just absolutely flabbergasting how big this is. Um, I can tell you the topic because that's not really going to give you a, a complete understanding uh, of what I'm, I'm going to, to talk about later and, and do in a published interview. But the topic are these uh, opportunity zones, opportunity zones, qualified opportunity zones across the country. For those of you who have longer memories who remember the Jack Kemp Enterprise Zones, uh, they are similar to that, but it is on a much grander scale, and there is much bigger opportunity for a lot more people to get involved in the tax advantages and the economic advantages of them. So stay tuned for that on my Twitter feed and on my Facebook feed. There'll be links to longer stories about that, and that was an exciting development this week that has just not been covered. And, you know, you've heard me on Novak now here on the Nachum Siegel Network many times discuss the issues that are plaguing the mainstream news media. And, you know, as much as I'd like to be like everybody else and blame it for being too liberal or too conservative, depending on what extreme part of the, the map you are politically, that's only part of the problem. The, pol- the political bias of the news media is really the, the third of, the, of their problems. I think two bigger problems are geographical bias and the bias towards negative stories. And that's really the biggest, that's the really biggest bias that the news media have. They love the negative stories, the, the, the frightening stories, the if it bleeds, it leads stories. And qualified opportunity zones uh, don't have any negatives to them yet. I mean, some negative things might happen, as it happens as any investment. Um, but right, and, and you can certainly get some expert to, to predict gloom and doom for them. But it's a very exciting story. Thus, the news media is not going to be that interested in it because excitement isn't necessarily what they would go for, even though that's what brings viewers and readers. It's fear. Uh, they often you know, conflate excitement for fear and fear, and, and fear for... Uh, for for interest and and that's uh, that's too bad. So we could talk about that in a, <laughs> and I have on other ep- uh, editions of Novak now. But again, just to, to keep your eye open for this, not only from what I'm going to write about it because I'm certainly not the most uh, well versed on it completely. Uh, nobody is because a lot of the details of the qualified opportunity zones have not been completely fleshed out and how you can invest in them. But I think it's going to be a major major uh, push for the American economy coming forward and probably one of the most innovative and possibly big tax breaks for investors of all sizes and shapes to come. So I'm excited about it. I'm hoping it'll turn out positive, but at the very least, I'd like to see more people paying attention to it. So hopefully that'll be something that'll be available to you on my Twitter and on my Facebook feeds in the next several days. What I want to talk about, though, in in this program uh, is something that is... (laughs) 
just as remarkable, if not more remarkable. We had a very remarkable moment in American history and American politics this week, a unique moment, uh, a flabbergasting moment in many ways, uh, because it's just something that almost any political expert, and I mean a real expert, not someone who just goes on TV as a, you know, who's a partisan and just pretending to be an expert on everything. They're just there to give one side. I'm talking about a real, real historians, real accurate political scientists, people who really look at it and have, you know, as unbiased as humanly possible, because there's no such thing as an unbiased person, but as fair-minded a person out there watching American politics and studying the history of American politics, they must have been as flabbergasted as I was. When you saw the statement from the White House about the Khashoggi incident that came out uh, in the past week, uh, I think it's one of the most unique, if not the most unique statements we've ever heard from a president of the United States, from a White House administration. Um, And I mean that just as it is. I, I, I don't think necessarily, I'm not here to grade it as a good or a bad thing. I'm here to say that it is just an amazing thing, an amazing moment of, and I know a lot of you will probably chuckle when you hear the next word I'm going to say, but it is probably the most amazing moment of honesty. Yeah, honesty. Not just from this Trump administration, but any administration. I can't think of any administration that's been this straightforward and honest with the American people on a touchy subject such as this incident. Now, for those of you who haven't seen it, you can read the entire statement. It's not very long. I'm not going to read it here, but I will give you the gist, which is basically that President Trump says in a statement that Yeah, it probably looks like the Saudis murdered Jamal Khashoggi. And he doesn't necessarily say that the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who's sort of the COO of the the country, he's running the country, even though his father is the king. Um, He basically says, well, maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. He doesn't say anything definitive about it, but it makes it clear that it's a good possibility that he did have something to do with the, you know, he ordered the murder of, of, of Jamal Khashoggi. And then he proceeds to say, this is not going to change our overall policy with Saudi Arabia. And he explains why. First, he talks about the defense contracts. We have billions and billions of dollars uh, that we're going to be making by selling the Saudis weapons. Not only weapons, but a security apparatus. It's not always just missiles and and bullets and, and, and bombs. Some of it is also security apparatus. We shouldn't forget that. And some of it is defensive in its nature. The kinds of things like shoot down missiles coming at Saudi Arabia. Then he talks about Saudi Arabia's important role that it plays against a greater evil, and that greater evil is Iran. And he's very straightforward about that. And he also talks about how Saudi Arabia's partnership with Israel, he doesn't say these words exactly, but the, of course the, the security of Israel is mostly threatened by Iran, and that Saudi Arabia's help there is also good for Israel. So he lays out his very honest policy. And I just can't think of any other American president at any other time who has or even would even consider being as honest to the American people as, as Donald Trump was. And let me get this straight, because I'm going to, with, with everyone here, because I'm going to get into this more at the end of the program, at the end of this half hour. But I want to make this clear now so that no one gets the wrong idea. I don't root for politicians, personally. I really don't. Do I root for individual policies and certain developments in politics? Yes, that I do. I like to see certain policies succeed. I like to see certain philosophies get more of a chance to, to flesh out, all that kind of stuff. An individual's political fortunes, I could not not care less. If Donald Trump, for example, is not reelected, and whoever is elected instead has better policies, good. And they're enacted, good. I don't, I don't care. I have no animosity nor great love for any politician out there. I just don't like a lot of their policies, and I like some, and I do like some of their policies. It depends on that. Which, by the way, this is the same way 
to respond to American politics, or really politics anywhere. I think that because of the way campaigns are run, because of the way they're marketed, because of the way the commercials run, too many people in American society, even very, very educated people, I actually, I, I see no immunity having anything to do with one's income or education level. I see the same problem along every single walk of life in America, in America today. But I just see that too much of us worship or hate the individual personalities who run and hold office in this country. And that's just not the way to do it. We, we are, that's not what our system is set up for. We're not set up for that kind of thing. And, you know, there's just, this, there are examples. Every, and by the way, every time a new medium becomes popular in American society, personality takes over. So when television became really, really prevalent and those televised debates between JFK and Richard Nixon took over, the personality of JFK is what won him the office. Absolutely it did. And if you don't think so, take a look at the real studies that were done on those televised debates. For example, the American people who watched the debates on TV, strong majority of them thought JFK won those debates. Those who listened on the radio because they were either driving or they didn't have a TV all thought, you know, not all, but a tremendous majority thought Nixon had won those debates. So, again, we, we, it's just the latest, that's just one example, but a very famous example of how personalities went out. And it's too bad because our, our political system is not properly set up for cults of personality. You know, maybe a monarchy somewhere is, but honestly, we're supposed to be a representative government, a Republican, you know, a republic, a republic, not a, oh, I like this guy, uh, I'll, I'll put all my trust in him. That, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. So I don't want anyone to think that my, the fact that I'm so impressed and so sort of taken aback by the incredible honesty of the statement by President Trump has got nothing to do with any personal love or animosity for the man. It's got nothing, nothing to do with that. This is just any pre President X saying, making this statement, it would be a shocking thing. Now, if you do want to throw a little bit of Trump's personality in there, I'll be the first to say he's guilty of what we call in the business world puffery, where you basically say things like, oh, I have the best dry cleaners in the universe, when that's obviously not demonstrably true. And he takes that too far, and he says stuff that's downright untrue lots of times. And yet this man, who has all the bluster and all the puffery, is the one who's really been, in that particular statement, probably the biggest example of presidential honesty we've ever heard. We've never heard anything like that, and it's really quite amazing. It's really quite amazing. And not only is it honesty in that I think this is really giving us the, the real reasoning behind the, America, behind the White House policy. I mean, it's an honest... It's an honest assessment of why they're doing what they're doing. But the openness, the openness is incredible. I mean, the President Trump and the administration could give us the runaround on Khashoggi and this whole incident for a long time. But here's the openness. Relatively soon after the incident, I mean, the incident happened in early October. Here we are around Thanksgiving time, and it was before Thanksgiving that this statement comes out. That's, that's openness on a pretty quick schedule. A pretty quick schedule. And by contrast, look at the Obama administration. Again, I'm not talking about President Barack Obama personally. I'm, I'm not, this is not a personal discussion because that's just so detrimental and, and a waste. I'm just talking about the Obama administration and some of the dishonesty and lack of openness that continues to this day among his fans and among his former staffers and among himself. You know, look at the Benghazi incident. First, they tell us it's because of some video that, that nobody saw on YouTube which was you know, just an absolute lie and a terrible way to disgrace those who died in, in, in the Benghazi incident. Then they say they didn't lie about that lie. I mean, they st and, and they still won't own up to it or fess up to it. It's incredible. 
You know, there must have been some reason why the Obama administration just didn't want to tell us the truth about that. The the most likely thing being that it was right before Election Day. It was a month, you know, actually it was September 11th. So it was September 11, 2012, that the, the Benghazi attack. Easy, easy day to remember, unfortunately. And it was about two months before Election Day, and they probably just didn't want to make it look like they had been, they had fallen down on the job on terrorism. But there are other very plausible explanations for why they were not being open. It's possible that there was some kind of weapons transfer that was going through Benghazi towards maybe the rebels in Syria that the Obama administration didn't want to admit to, all that kind of stuff. But they still haven't come come forward six years later. I mean, they still aren't telling us the truth about what happened at Benghazi. And here you have President Trump less than two months after this murder of Jamal Khashoggi by the Saudis at their consulate in, in Turkey, telling us the truth about why, about why he's not going to change American policy vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia based on this incident. That's incredible openness. It's incredible honesty. Whether you think it's good or bad, you know what? I, I think it's probably very good in this case so that we can sort of get our heads out of the clouds. But even if you think it is bad, you just can't argue that this is an incredible openness and honesty. That's just that's not the argument I'm not willing to have because that's like arguing two plus two is five. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. And you know, it, it lends into this scenario that we've been dealing with ever since Donald Trump was elected president, where most of the American news media that took eight years off from the fact-checking watchdog role that they had often played, starting with the Nixon administration and on, and you know, taking breaks here and there. But I will, give the new, I will give the news media, the general news media, credit for, by the way, not taking eight years off during the Clinton administration. I think right off the bat of the Bill Clinton administration, the news media was pretty tough on him. Uh, fairly tough. Fair, but tough. You know, uh, tough but fair, as they say. Uh, but for eight years under Barack Obama, the, 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 the mainstream news media, no matter what they say, no matter what their protestations, absolutely gave him a break for eight years. Gave President Obama that administration eight years. They took a break from their watchdog role. They took a break from their fact-checking role. And when Donald Trump was elected, any, anyone getting elected, even Hillary Clinton, I think they would have resumed that to some degree. But with Donald Trump, it's been in you know fourth, fifth gear. It has been major, major focus on this. And so the Khashoggi incident, which would have been completely ignored if it had this happened under the Obama administration, would have been swept under the rug. The news media tried to, a lot of the news media tried to put Benghazi under the rug, and, and American, American soldiers were killed in that, and American, an American ambassador was killed, not just somebody who, somebody who was here on a visa. Okay, I'm talking about an American citizen, American ambassador was killed, and a lot of the news media tried to sweep that under the rug. So don't tell me they weren't, you know, taking some time off. Eight years, to be exact, from their watchdog role. But at this, so if the Khashoggi incident had happened under the Obama administration, I don't think this would be in the news pretty much at all, at all. Maybe the Washington Post would would complain about it. Maybe just them, but it wouldn't be picked up picked up by the rest of the news media. But Trump is president, and there's an idea that maybe Trump should be embarrassed by it because he has been closer with Saudi Arabia, and he has been working with the Saudis closely, particularly this new crown prince, relatively new. It's now it's not more than a year that he's been crown prince, a year and a half. So that's the point. That's why they're, they're going after it. And you know what? Okay, fine. Be, be more vigilant. Be more of a watchdog. That I don't have a problem with, and I don't think anyone should have a problem with that. They need to be doing that fairly. They need to be making sure they have real sources, and they've been burned many times as the news media since Donald Trump's been elected on phony stuff that they've put out there because they haven't been, haven't been careful. But fine, go ahead and do that. But they were given a very big dose of honesty and openness from the president relatively soon after this incident. I mean, imagine if less than two months after September 11th, 
2012, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were, came completely clean with the American people about why they responded the way they did to Benghazi, why Benghazi happened. I mean, they haven't done it six years later, let alone two months later. So imagine how much of a difference that would have been. That would have been a real difference. Real difference. So what we're having here, what we're going through here with this incident is a real example of realpolitik, which is the fancy word they teach you in college for, you know what, if it's good for me and my country, we're going to do it. Even if it's not ethically 100% clearly right, but if it's good for our country and good for what we're trying to get done and the safety and the promotion of American values and American, maybe not American values, but American goals, then we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we're getting that really, really explained to us openly and honestly from a president who most people think is lying to them all the time. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. But honestly, this is the biggest example of fresh honesty <laughs> that I've ever seen from administration. And it's coming based on this Khashoggi incident. I think that there's a little bit of a concurrent story of realpolitik going on in Israel right now, and it's coming from not only the government of Prime Minister ben Benjamin Netanyahu, but a, but a lot from the voters too in Israel, a lot from the voters too, because what's happening in Israel is a couple of weeks ago, it was assumed Israel is going to an election. Avigdor Lieberman leaves the government, resigns because he wanted a more fleshed out military operation in Gaza. Netanyahu and a lot of right-wing Israelis didn't think it was a good idea, let alone the left wing. And he leaves the government over that. And boy, it looks like that's it. Netanyahu's government's collapsing. They're going to have to have new elections. And then the Israeli people take the pause that I think they've taken a few times during the course of the 10 years that almost 10 years that Netanyahu, consecutive years that he's had in his second round as prime minister, and have honestly said to themselves, who else? Who else? There are a lot of things we don't like about Benjamin Netanyahu. There are some things that have gone on in Israel over the last 10 years that aren't great, although I think generally the last 10 years have been very, very good for Israel. Very good. But like with any administration after 10 years, I mean, you can rack up your list of complaints, but I think the Israeli people and the people in the Likud party and the people in... Naftali Bennett's party, all ask themselves, well, who else? Who else right now? And what's best for us right now? And we don't like this guy, or we would love to have some new faces, but for what? For what exactly? And so for now, those elections that seem so inevitable in Israel, that seem so definite to happen, for now they're on hold. And I think there's a similar realpolitik uh, storyline running through both this and the Khashoggi response from President Trump, being that it's not great, but this gives us a net positive for the things that we're trying to accomplish. We believe are more important. We believe that Iran is a bigger danger for terrorism and bad things in the world than Saudi Arabia. We believe that Israel's protection is more threatened by Iran than Saudi Arabia and some of its friends, certainly since uh, last year and, and over the last several years, really. And that's what we're going to do. And so we're, going to, we're not going to upset that. This is not the time for that. And that's brutal honesty, but very good honesty as far as openness is concerned. And I think the same thing in Israel. Like They just felt like this wasn't the time. Who's, whose government, whose leadership, whose policy is worth dumping Netanyahu for right now? I, I'd really like to know. Because I don't think anybody in Israel knows, and that's why you're not having snap elections. Otherwise, you would have them. Otherwise, you would have them. With major people leaving a coalition like that, it would be already a done deal. But the realpolitik, the realization of it is very strong in Israel, and that's why 
I don't think we're going to get elections in the next couple of weeks or months. It's going to be further on down the road. Again, you're listening to Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're talking about the Khashoggi incident, President Trump's response to it, the remarkable openness and honesty. This is no this is no cheerleading comment on Donald Trump personally. It's just a, 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 an astounding moment in American political history to see a president this honest and open at this time and from someone who has not always been honest and open, who blusters and puffs and, does a bu- and says a bunch of things that are just not 100% correct and accurate all the time. And yet this was an amazing moment of honesty, one that I cannot really compare I'm trying to think of another president who was that open and honest to the American people, and I just can't really get there. Maybe you could say Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. I, I don't know. But the pressure wasn't on him in that sense to, to give a great speech there. I really don't know. I guess it was, there was after so many had died. But that obviously was such a turning point in the war that I think the pressure's off Lincoln at that moment. If they lose at Gettysburg, then, then, they gotta, then, then it's different. But you know how that goes. You know how that went. I want to talk a little bit more about Jamal Khashoggi, just so that people understand another reason why it's important, I think, that to understand that President Trump's made the right decision here. And again, not because he's Donald Trump, not because I'm cheerleading him. I don't really care who he is personally. And I don't care about his personal political fortunes. I'm talking about good policy here. And the reason why it was good policy not to tear down or threaten the relationship over Saudi Arabia over Jamal Khashoggi is... Jamal Khashoggi is, and who he really was is not really known to the American people, and I wish that we could spend a little bit more time talking about that out in the mainstream news media, but you'll hear about it now. You'll hear about it now. First off, calling Jamal Khashoggi a journalist is just not accurate. It's not accurate. He wasn't a journalist. Was he somebody who wrote things sometimes? N- yes. He was a, you know, he was basically a, an opinion columnist, but that's not a journalist. But he really wasn't even a columnist. He was basically a paid mouthpiece throughout his public career. Now, he had two different patrons during his career, and it's very important that you understand that. For most of his public career, his patron was Saudi Arabia. Namely, Prince Alawid bin Talal, who is a big investor. He goes on CNBC, and he's in the Wall Street Journal a lot. Uh, and he's a big investor in a lot of big-name companies. He's an early investor in Twitter. He was a big investor in 21st Century Fox. Not anymore, but he was. And he was a celebrity-type investor folk guy who would get, get on the air. And, and for a while, he was the wealthiest man in Saudi Arabia. I don't think he is anymore, because as many of you know, around this time last year, he and about 200 other very wealthy and powerful people in Saudi Arabia were put under house arrest at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh until they pledged enough loyalty to the new crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, for them to get out. And Mohammed, uh, Alawid bin Talal was one of the last people released. And when he was released, he was visibly thinner, and he was lighter in the, in the, in the pocketbook, too. It probably cost him more than a billion dollars to get out, and maybe a few billion dollars to get out. Do I condone the, the methods that were used by Mohammed bin Salman and the Saudi government to get that loyalty out of those people and, and Alawi bin Talal. No, I don't. Of course I don't. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. But he, for a long time, was the benefactor for Jamal Khashoggi. And his, he was paid to write stuff promoting the Saudi government's policies at the time. That's what he did. And when bin Talal fell out of favor in Saudi Arabia and the new regime came in, he was out of business. 
Jamal Khashoggi was out of business for a little while, but then he found a new benefactor, which by all accounts was Iran via, via Turkey and via probably some contacts here in the United States. And that's who he started writing for. So when he started to attack the human rights violations in Saudi Arabia, you know, he suddenly realized there are human rights violations in Saudi Arabia. There have always been human rights violations in Saudi Arabia. He didn't write about it before, but now that he was being paid by Iran via Turkey and some contacts here in the United States, he was interested in it. Now, for those of you who think this is a stretch, I feel sorry for you a little bit that you don't understand how Washington works. All right, D.C. is filled with foreign lobbyists who take different forms. Some of them are there to actually just lobby members of Congress and the government. They go and they have meetings. Some of them are there in the form of think tanks that are set up. Some of them are there in the form of university positions. And then there are some of them in the form of people like Jamal Khashoggi who write, sometimes get published, sometimes do conferences, sometimes show up on TV as, quote, experts on the Middle East. One of those people is a woman named Hillary Mann, a Jewish woman who is now Hillary Mann Leverett, married to a, a man named Leverett. And she has been a paid agent of Iran, well-known paid agent of Iran for a long, long time. She goes on TV all the time to defend Iran. I don't know what her motivations are, necessarily. That's for her and her analysts to figure out. But whatever the reason, she's been a paid agent and kind of a ringleader of the paid mouthpieces for Iran and Washington for a long time. I would not be surprised if she were the one who Khashoggi either contacted himself or maybe she contacted him when she found out he needed a new benefactor. I'm not sure. Now, none of this means that Jamal Khashoggi deserved to be murdered, especially the way that he was most likely murdered. Again, please do not misunderstand that. But he was a paid agent of Iran, here to promote Iran's interests. He was not some journalist trying to be a, a, true, you know, a true seeker. That's not really who he was. And he was not living in Washington, D.C., in one of the most expensive parts of this country, with a family of, you know, with a family uh, getting a, on the basis of the pay that he was getting for an occasional column pu pu published in the Washington Post. No one could afford that. So that's not what was going on. But there's a lot of people like him, not just for Saudi Arabia or Iran, but for other countries in Washington, and that's how it works. And it's ugly and it's annoying, but that's what it is. That's what it is. And so for us to change our policies over some kind of person who's being portrayed as a total innocent, as a total just truth Seeking journalists is just not true. Again, again, doesn't mean that he should have been murdered. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is we have to get our labels right and our names right and our facts right. And the Washington Post and a lot of the mainstream news media either doesn't know the facts about Khashoggi or they're deliberately obfuscating about them. And that is really unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. And I assume it's because of the same reasons we talked about at the top of this half hour, which is just to sort of the get Trump thing, which is, you know, listen, go get him for the mistakes he's making. That's fine. But don't make mistakes along the way. You know, to paraphrase the old Chris Rock joke, which is a great joke, and really everyone should remember when they, those, those people who cannot take Trump. If somebody went around, if somebody killed somebody, don't go around saying he killed 10 people because that ruins your credibility and it lessens the real crime that may have happened. So if Trump is not telling the truth about something, don't go around saying he lied about everything when it turns out he's, in this case, he's told a tremendous bit of truth and openness. And that's important. And that's important. And again, just to reiterate, I'm not saying any of this to be a Trump fan, to prop up the man personally. I don't care about him personally. Doesn't need my help, doesn't need your help. But a good policy is a good policy. And sadly, this is, these are our choices in the Middle East. The Saudis are making some improvements. The Saudis are deciding 
to sort of support the right sides in, in ways they hadn't before, in a more emphatic way. And that has to be encouraged. And Jamal Khashoggi, a paid mouthpiece for Iran, who used to be a paid mouthpiece for the Saudis when they were under different management, is not worth changing that policy for. And Donald Trump, your president, who everyone calls a liar, and everyone is trying not to take seriously in the news media, but they take him only to, t- to be frightened by him, has actually told you this truth this week, and this is a remarkable moment in American history. Love or hate the man, you don't have to love him, but the point is you have to understand, you got a major dose of honesty this week from a president of the United States, not seen really ever before, and we may not see it ever again. This has been Jake Novak. This is Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.